Well, good morning. My name is Bert Wallace. I'm one of the elders here at Grace. And uh, before we go into our prayer time this morning, uh, we're going to do something that we're doing more and more and that I, uh, it really is something that's very important to me, and that is that we're welcoming some new members officially into our body this morning. I'll call you guys up in just a second, um, but I'll just say very quickly that um, uh, membership is something that the elders take very seriously at Grace. Um, There is a Grace Connection class starting soon, the 13th of September. Uh, So if you are interested in the possibility of or or learning more about our church, uh, we very much welcome you to come to that starting at 9 on Sunday, starting on the 13th. Um, You'll learn about our church, about uh, what we believe, what we teach, um, the whole concept of elder leadership of a church and so forth. So uh, it's something that we think is important, and we have, we're have we going to be welcoming some new members today as well as some new members uh, next week. So uh, if I could get the Thompsons and the Will clan to come up here and join us. Um, and you can see their names up there. If you haven't met any of these people, if you guys would just sort of face out from down here, and I'm going to come out and face you in just a second. So uh, here's a couple of families that have been through our Grace Connection class and are joining this morning. I'm going to ask them a few questions in preparation for them joining. So, do you believe and confess that you are a sinful person by nature and by choice, unqualified to be acceptable to your holy creator, and that you have no hope of salvation apart from his grace and mercy? Do you believe and confess that Jesus Christ is God the Son and that He is the only Savior of sinners? Have you received God's free offer of mercy, forgiveness, acceptance, and eternal life? And are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation as He is offered to you in the gospel? Do you promise in humble dependence upon the work of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and enables you that you will determine to live each day as God's obedient child and faithful witness so that your life brings honor to your God and Savior? Do you promise to be submissive to and supportive of the leadership of Grace Community Church as they lead this congregation according to the Scriptures and the bylaws and constitution of this church? And do you promise to encourage the witness of Grace Community Church in her worship and work by living at peace with other Christians, guarding the purity of her doctrine, and supporting her ministry with your personal involvement and financial gifts. Having answered in the affirmative to all these questions, I'd ask you to welcome the newest members of Grace Community Church. Y'all can be seated. And please, please seek them out and meet them if you haven't. So now we'll move into our prayer time. Good morning. A few of you guys are awake. Thank you there, John, on the front row. Okay. Um, good morning. My name is Keisha Colbreth, and I'm the Children's Ministry Director here at Grace Community Church, and I'm excited to uh, share and worship with you during our prayer time this morning, and I want to point out a few things for you. Um, in our bulletin today, uh, if you want to open your bulletin, uh, for those of you that have not been attending Grace or this is your first Sunday, we welcome you as visitors. Um, both families and some of our students who are back with us, we welcome you um, if you're new to our body. So in our bulletin each week, um, we have a special section in the middle. If you're one of those that isn't quite here when we start at 10 o'clock, these are some important announcements in the middle section of your bulletin, so you can check those out, um, especially the potluck that we have today to welcome back our families who've been traveling all summer, as well as our students back to Campbell and Wake Tech and other universities around the area. That's mentioned here in the middle section. Um, Also in our bulletin, we have some prayer requests on the bottom left there that are for our entire church family, things that have been brought to our attention and things we want to remember in prayer. Um, Today, our prayer focus is children's ministry, uh, ministry to children and That is my greatest privilege and blessing, Um, being on staff here at Grace, is ministering to our children. Now, those of you who are parents, you've already sort of caught the energy of the day today. Today is actually Promotion Sunday as well, not just potluck, but Promotion Sunday. So what that means is a little bit of chaos, okay? We have um, children who welcome to our third graders. If you're a third grader, a brand new third grader, and you're in the worship service today with your families for the first time in a long time in singing and prayer, raise your hand. 
Because, see, they're brave enough to raise their hand. So we want to welcome them because these guys just moved up to third grade, which means that they will worship with their families now in the service and then be dismissed to their classes. So welcome you guys to the prayer time. Um, Parents, it also means that you'll need to check the signs on the walls because we have a little bit different breakdown of our class age groups today. So please make sure when you go back that if your child is in kindergarten, you look for that particular room and first and second grade. Those are the major changes. Um, So today, uh, for children's ministry, um, I just want to invite you into my excitement. Um, As a parent, this particular day of the year is exciting for me. It was when I was a teacher, and it is for me as a parent. And it is for all of us as we start seeing school buses running around Harnett County. Not so much for the kids. They don't like the buses. But for the parents, it's a little bit exciting that our kids get to go back to structure in school. So our church year is built upon that excitement. And so we have some great opportunities for you as a church family because our children's ministry volunteers are kind of doing a bit of fruit basket turnover, if you will, okay? Because this is sort of the end of our year after the summer and the beginning of our next year of service as volunteers. Um, We do have some that have had to step down or some that are changing position from one age group to another. So right now we have several volunteers that are needed in children's ministry for the coming year. Um, It's a wonderful time for you as college students, um, female college students, if you are new to Grace or if you've been attending here a while and you would like to serve with our children. um, This semester is a good time to get oriented to Grace, get in a home group, um, and learn about membership, um, affiliation with Grace, being a, a a member here. And that's true for the the folks in our body as well. Um, But there are several places that you can serve in children's ministry, and you'll see those up on your screen, the screen there. Um, ITM, that is short for Infant and Toddler Ministry, okay? And many times um, with infants and toddlers, you might think, well, that's just babysitting, you know? I go back there, I wipe some noses, I change some diapers, you know, maybe get out a few blocks, and there's a lot of crying, okay? Um, but David and Ricky had shared an article with me this week uh, from the Gospel Coalition. It was a wonderful article, actually written by a pastor, um, a, a candidate uh, who was a, in pastoral ministry, and he was sharing how uh, Jesus modeled for us servant leadership at the end of his ministry, right before his crucifixion, um, when it could have been, you're like, this guy is, is great. He's been around as long as, and, and done all these wonderful sermons and healings and teachings. And wow, what does he do? He stops and does the, the ministry of a lowly servant and he washes his disciples' feet. And he compares this to being in the nursery. That sometimes we're like, oh yeah, I could serve in the nursery or cut the grass, or empty trash, or, you know, things like this. But what he's saying is that nursery service is actually something that teaches you a lot about Jesus' character, about the character that Jesus wants to develop in you, being humble, being compassionate, um, serving the parents of your church, and finding yourself praying for their children. And so it is a great honor and privilege to serve once a month in either our nurseries, um, infants and toddlers, um, our preschool classes. We have um, three- and four-year-old classes, which we need assistance for, and we could use um, a teacher as well in those classes. And then we have our elementary classes, Um, which are broken down the way you see. Um, In our elementary group, we use a curriculum called the Gospel Project, which teaches um, the gospel every single week throughout the Old and New Testament, uh, the good news of Jesus. And so in each of these areas, we have um, roles for a teacher who actually leads the lesson, for assistants who are more of a support role, and then we also have need for substitutes because we always have people who can't make it on a Sunday. So if you're willing and you're thinking about possibly serving, because we do have quite a few needs um, this semester, I know alone I have four assistants who are actually stopping in December, and we will need brand new people in January. So Regardless if you're going to start next month after training or in January, um, please attend. Now, I do want to make clear that these trainings that we're providing are for our current, currently serving volunteers um, because we want to take some time to thank you, and we would like to for you to be able to share your wisdom and input at this training um, to some of our new folks that are coming in. This is going to be really interactive, and we're going to share some 
things with you. So this year, for people who've been at Grace a long time, you're probably not used to this. We have we actually have so many in children's ministry that we are going to break our training up this year into two different dates, okay? So if you're currently serving or you wish to serve in our nurseries or our three- and four-year-old classes as a teacher or an assistant or a substitute, or you want to come on in January, it would be best to go to training now. Um, and that is August 30th, next Sunday. So think the younger ones are next Sunday. Then in September uh, the 20th, we will have a volunteer, uh, volunteer training for our elementary workers. And so if you're interested in serving in elementary as one of those roles, then you would come um, in September. So I just want to thank you all for, for thinking about our children today and for wanting to pray for them and work with them because they are our next generation and they soak up every piece of knowledge you can give them about Jesus. They're beautiful children and it's, it's wonderful to work with them. So please come talk to me today after the service or email me and let me know if you're interested. My email information is on the back of the bulletin. So um, I've asked Allison Talley, um, who's a beautiful and wonderful teacher of children, and she's back in school as well, to lift uh, up our children's ministry today, and then I will close. So if you'll pray with us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for children. We thank you, Father, for the gift that they are to us, Lord. Father, in the best of times, they, they show us, Lord, what you are like, Lord. They reflect your just more of the pure way that you made us, Lord. And other times they show us very much our own sin, Lord, and our need for Christ. Lord, we thank you that they are beautiful and that you care about them so much, Lord, because you created them. Lord, you said that unless we come to you as a little child, God, we would not be able to enter the kingdom of heaven, Lord. And we know that this is a reflection on our trust, on our rest in you, on our faith, our belief that is simple yet so profound. Father, I pray just as you command this, Lord, that even those in our body, Father, who don't know Christ, would consider believing what you have done for us, being born, dying on the cross, and being raised from the grave, so that our sins might be forgiven and that our relationship with our Heavenly Father might be restored and right again, only because of Jesus, Lord, nothing because of what we have done, Father. And I pray, Lord, that as we know Christ and as we seek Christ, that we would want to serve Him. And so I thank you, Lord, for all the people that you are bringing. I thank you for the hearts that you are preparing and have prepared even now to step up and serve our children, God because you have great things to teach us as we serve and great ways to bless us as we bless our children. And so we lift this up to you, Lord. We lift up those in our body today who are hurting physically and emotionally. Father, we pray for those who have lost jobs and are looking for jobs, recovering from surgeries, have decisions, difficult decisions to make. Lord, we pray for all of our children and teachers in Harnett County and those that have already gone back to school in Wake County, God. Lord, we lift them up to you in this time of transition, and we pray your blessings and strength on them as we all make the change back to schedules and this aspect of our lives. May you be glorified, Lord, as we live out the gospel in front of our friends and our families. Lord, be glorified in this offering today. And as we give back to you, Lord, only a fraction of what you have so graciously and freely given to us, Lord, because all we have is from you. Lord, we thank you for our time of teaching. Pray that you would bless Brad as he teaches this morning your word. May our hearts be open to your spirit and may our lives be changed. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Brad Talley. I am the teaching elder here at Grace. Thank you so much for joining us in worship. If this is your first time here, you came on a good day. We're having a potluck after uh, the service, and we 
have some really great cooks. And we have been encouraging everybody to bring a lot of food. So we have enough food for you, whether you're a student, whether you're adults visiting, family for the first time. We would love for you to stay and join us for that meal. Just a couple of things I want to mention in your bulletins very quickly. There's the two inserts. Uh, One, we have... Uh, a form for elder and deacon nominations. One of the most important things we do all year long, nominate the people that God wants to serve and lead us as elder and or deacon. Uh, we will be presenting, the elders will present a, a slate for your consideration in several weeks. And then we will take two weeks to pray about it and come back and affirm that decision. Um, so, Elder and deacon nomination. Be praying about that. You don't have to put it in today, uh, but just be praying. You'll be getting this form in there for a, a number of weeks, as you will also the form for marriage matters, uh, a, a, a book and a study by a gentleman named Winston Smith. Wasn't that the guy in like 1984? Was that Winston Smith, or is that? Am I got? Have I got that right? No literature majors in here at all. I mean, just say yes, no, whatever. Um, I haven't read the book. I, I, I should have but before I mentioned it. But at any rate, this book is a really great book. In this session, this, we're going to have a, a, a home set up all over our area from uh, Fuquay out towards Dunn, Irwin. If you would like to come and be a part of that, we'll have child care available. It's only one night per month. So if you want to participate in this, please sign up. We'll get books for you. Also, uh, if you would be willing to host and you're interested in leading, you might also uh, check with me. So, um, this morning, I want to ask you right off the bat, do you remember a teacher or a coach or someone in authority who said, okay, here's how it's going to go. I'm going to pick two people, they're coming up, and then they're going to choose teams. I mean, it could be anything from basketball to, to a spelling bee. And, and so we've got two captains up front. Now maybe you loved that because you knew they were going to be fighting over you. Or maybe you dreaded that because it was going to be, all right, yeah, come on up. You're the last one. So if you are in this scenario and a captain, you're the first person chosen. Everybody knows what your responsibility is, right? Chief advisor. I mean, you say, hey, hey, get, hey, Jimmy, get Jimmy, pick Jimmy. No, 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 not Sanderson, not. Hello, Sanderson, good to have you on the team. <laughs> um, but you, everybody knows you're supposed to do that. You know, the captain won't say, shut up. He'll say, who do you think I should take, you know? And, and so you've got this going on. So let's imagine for a moment that... There's only one captain in the whole group, and you're choosing, you're putting together a team, a group of people who will be competing against someone in another city, a very formidable opponent, and whatever it is you're, you're competing against them in. And uh, let's, let's go further, and let's just imagine that Jesus is the captain, and he's the one who's putting together a team to change the world. I mean... There is nothing less at stake with this group of people that he is choosing to follow him and to share the gospel. Nothing less at stake than the souls of every person who is alive and will be alive until the end of the age. That's all that's at stake here. And you were the first person chosen. What are you going to do? Advise, right? Jesus, Jesus, pick him, pick him. A tax collector? Really? And this time you don't even care. Matthew! I mean, he's walking right up and you're like, A tax collector? Really? This guy is on the team? Well, you'd be saying that a lot if you were Jesus' chief advisor because he's not going to be choosing necessarily the people that you think ought to be in there. I mean, you and I got in, right? I mean, so let's... We have to question the judgment occasionally. Uh, but I, I'm not sure that we were some of the finest choices. But you know what? We have to concede that the Lord knows what he's doing when he's putting together this group of people to follow him. 
So who does the Lord choose to represent him? Well, we're going to find out in today's text, which is 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. Typically, I like to give a little bit of context before we read, but I'll actually do that uh, after our reading. It's our practice to stand as the scripture is read. So I'll ask you if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word, 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful that you have called us here together today. And Lord, that you have called so many in this room to be your followers. And who knows, maybe even this morning, you will be calling others to follow you. It's not an easy calling, Lord. And we pray that we might see the great wisdom that you have in structuring things the way that you do, and that we might be able to trust beyond that which we're able to understand because there's a lot that just doesn't make sense in this life. So we commit ourselves to you. We open our hearts and ask you to fill them with your truth, with your word. And may we not only receive your word, but may we respond in positive ways with, yes, Lord, I hear you, I believe it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, BC. Well, we only have a few more weeks in our nearly year-long series, what you saw on the first screen up there, a place in the family. It's about church. It's about the structure and the makeup of church, about how God designed it and, and, and our mission, how he uses the family of God, of which Jesus is the head. And the message today is going to tell us that God determined that his children would not try to find accolades for themselves, not try to get the praise for themselves, but that they would point to Jesus. In Scripture, there's only one hero, and that's Jesus. People that come to Scripture with the idea that, okay, it's full of heroes like Noah and David. You you start checking those guys out, and and after a while you see, hmm, I mean, there's some great stuff here, but there's some pretty bad stuff here, too. The only hero in Scripture is Jesus, and and it's for our benefit that he has designed us to point to him. Our text is linked uh, to last week's message, taken from, naturally, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 25. So it's closely related where we were last week. Um, So hopefully this morning... As we engage this text, it's even more important that this text engages us. A significant portion of the New Testament, when you think about it, is is a collection of letters written by apostles and directed to churches. You can get a sense of what was going on in the first century by taking you can you can take the temperature of the tour of the churches by just seeing what the writers are saying to the people there from the tone and content. Of the letters, you get a pretty good sense of what was going on and and the specific issues that were present uh, in the churches that were addressed. So, what do letters written to churches 2,000 years ago have to do with us today? Maybe the answer to that question is, is best begun to be answered by asking a few more questions. How much has God changed in the last 2,000 years? How much has human nature changed in the last 2,000 years? None at all. 
We are just like the people of the first century. Just that we have smartphones. That's all the difference, you know. And ways to get to the other side of the earth in less than a day. Last week, uh, text told us what has always been true and what many of us have experienced at the deepest levels. The message of the cross is considered foolish to those who don't believe. But to those who do believe, it is the power of God and it is saving us. The thought that God would send us under earth as a man and the plan of salvation would go through Jesus' humiliation and and excruciating death on the cross. And and this execution on the cross that is reserved for the lowest of criminals. If you don't believe that, well, truly, when you get into the nuts and bolts of it, it seems crazy. You might say, hey, look, the cross of Christ, yeah, yeah, I've got a, I've got a piece that I wear on, on, on a necklace. I love the cross of Jesus until you start understanding what it means, especially when you say that every single person who has ever lived, is so wicked and such an enemy of God that he or she deserves an eternity in hell. Now, you wouldn't say it exactly like that, but that's the ultimate message. That we are such enemies of God that we deserve to spend eternity apart from Him being judged in hell. But Jesus absorbed God's wrath on the cross, taking His judgment towards sinners upon Himself so that all who will repent and believe will be saved. It's foolishness to those who don't know Jesus on so many levels. I mean, wait a minute. Are you trying? Wait, wait a minute. Are you saying that I'm not good enough to go to heaven? You are, but I'm not? That's not what you're saying, but that will probably be perceived. Are you saying, in fact, that a murderer can Pray and ask Jesus into his heart, and he goes to heaven. And although I give of my resources, my time, my money, I try to correct injustices everywhere. I seek justice for people. I do everything I can to make life better for those who don't have it as good as I do. Is that what you're saying, that I go to hell, you go to heaven? Are you also saying that I don't have the right to live in a committed relationship with somebody else, whether it be male or female, We don't have to be married. It doesn't matter. You're saying that I can't do that? Isn't Christianity about love? And that brings us to another question. I mean, how can a God of love allow this stuff to go on? You see that article last week about this child being abused? How This is a God of love and the war and and ISIS cutting off heads and, and, and war in Korea about to break out any minute? Really? With so much pain and injustice and evil, for goodness sakes, God does nothing to step in and stop it. Is that your God of love? The God, for for as far as I can see, is, is practically a celestial child abuser. He made Jesus die for the sins of the world, for these awful things that happen. That seems crazy to me. Indeed, until you throw yourself entirely upon God's mercy, the message of the cross will be foolishness to you. You know, I said a while ago that what God requires of us is to repent and believe. What does it mean to repent? It, it, it at its base level, means to change your mind. It means to change your mind about what God calls sin, what he says about your sinfulness. See, if you're constantly saying, no, 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 that's not me. I'm a good person, surely. But when God says you are a sinner and apart from me there is no hope, you say, Lord, I accept that. I believe that. And I acknowledge that I am a sinner. And it means to turn from your sin. It means to To call sin whatever God calls sin. And not to say, you know what? I get this, this, and this, but I don't get this. So I'm just going to assign this to, that was the culture in the first century category. I don't think that's sinful. 
No, to repent means to say that whatever God calls sin is sin. To repent is not easy. Not for any of us. I mean, there's not a single person in this room who does not want to have control over his or her. The desire and the impulse to have control over his or her life. Oh, oh no, not me. I, I, I want to live for Jesus. That's not 24-7, is it? That's not when the doctor says, you have cancer and you've got three months and there's nothing I can do. We, we want control. We want it to go like we want it to be in our lives. But the deeper you go into Scripture and the more your heart is revealed to yourself, the more you understand that not only is the preaching of the cross foolishness to all who don't believe, but you recognize that all who will follow Jesus are called in an enormously challenging way to take up the cross daily and to follow Him. And that means at the very least to have a hint of shame in your life. Look, thankfully there's a difference between humiliation and humility. Humility is what I choose, how I choose to present myself before God. Humiliation is, I am so embarrassed, I'm horrified. And and look, when you're a Christian, people are going to want to shame you. Come on, you Bible-thumping. Really? Do you have to bring God into everything? I mean, let's, let's go have a party, but oh, wait a minute, there's Rick. We can't party because Rick, you know, preacher Rick. In the day that 1 Corinthians was written, bearing your cross meant one thing. You were going to a painful and in the eyes of the world, a humiliating death. And so, a lot of people say, you know what? The cost is too high because God says it's all or nothing. Now listen, if you, if you get the sense that I'm saying we have to be perfect and we're expected to live these very rigid lives, we may be expected to live a particular life. It ain't happening until we stand before Jesus. That We're going to be all we are supposed to be. It's not a call to perfection. It's a call to say, Lord, whatever you say, that's my heart, that's my desire. And it's also an acknowledgement as, as the song Christ in me, the only hope I have of living that life is for Jesus to live it through me. But it involves taking a stand and being willing for people to say hypocrite when you don't live up to the cross. And you know what happens when you don't live up to the cross? You repent and say, forgive me, God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. And then you move on. The Corinthians didn't necessarily want that kind of life, though. They wanted to be regarded as competent, as intelligent, as worthy participants in the public square. I mean, Corinth, like Athens, had philosophers all over the place and orators that would gather people around. And and they wanted to be those kinds of speakers. And after Paul had laid out in no uncertain terms that to follow Jesus was to be considered foolish in the eyes of the world, he gave more perspective by reminding them of who they were when they trusted Jesus. Verse 26, just look at this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I mean, you almost get the sense that Paul is saying here that the Corinthians were not the sharpest knives in the drawer. And yet, they were... Exactly the ones that God had chosen to reveal himself to the deeply secular culture in Corinth. In fact, this may not be exactly what you think it is. There is evidence that Corinth was one of the few middle class churches in the empire. 
in the kingdom of God that functioned within the Roman Empire. Very much like we would be here. That was the group. But they weren't at the absolute top echelon. And that's what he's saying. I know that many of you are aspiring. You want to get on top. But God has chosen to use you as you are. To bring the gospel to the world. Um, These people were not from the poorest communities. But they weren't the wealthy social elites that some of them wanted to be. Although there's evidence that there were a handful of those in the church. And wouldn't you know it. These were the guys that seemed to be causing the most problem. And Paul is essentially saying, look, don't think so highly of yourself. You need to be thinking highly of Jesus, not of yourselves. So, no wonder Paul told them in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? That's a good reminder for all of us, isn't it? I mean, our intellect, our ability to move all of our limbs, our ability... To, to think and to process information to, and to engage people and to do whatever it is that we do with computers or machines or flying airplanes, whatever it is that we do that God has enabled us to do. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? All good things come from God. And he's pointing our eyes in this direction. And there is great benefit to doing that. As we are going to see. Life was the same in Corinth as it it is everywhere. I mean in almost every social structure you have people that are on top. People that are in the middle. And people who are on the bottom. Those who are on top were often born into it. They are were hard workers. They, they, they got on top of that totem pole somehow. And they'll do whatever it takes to stay there. Now they'll do it very gracefully. You can do that when you're on top. Because you're smart if you're on top. And you know how to gracefully stay on top. Then those in the middle or you know, they're often trying to get on top. Those on the bottom may or may not accept their place. But they often do so, accepting their fate fate while complaining that life just isn't fair. In fact, probably most everybody complains, regardless of what our position is. It's the humanity in all of us. So, let me say this, because you probably think I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this. The desire to improve yourself is not sinful in no way. Furthermore, if you get a job promotion or a scholarship, somebody else is not getting that job promotion or scholarship. And that's okay. If you marry the best prospect in the area, ain't nobody else going to marry him or her. At least we hope not. In first century Corinth, once again, the philosophers, you know, they would stand up and and they would espouse their great beliefs and they tried to get people to follow them. They gave their best arguments for people to follow their way of thinking. And Paul did no less in his argument with the Corinthians. And he acknowledged as such. He says, "I, I, I want to convince you of what I'm saying because though it sounds like it's to your detriment, it is for your great benefit. Paul's point was not that you shouldn't seek to advance yourself or that you should never seek to advance yourself, but you must acknowledge and accept that all who were called to follow Jesus will always be out of step with the world. At some point, they're going to think you're crazy. There is no way you can follow Jesus and somebody in your family, at your work or something, doesn't call you a fanatic. And just think you're nuts. Now, the rest of us think you're nuts for other reasons. But they, they're going to think it's because of your stand for Christ. So, why do you suppose that God delights in choosing the weak and the poor to turn the world upside down? 
He tells us plainly, so that no one, verse 29, no human being might boast in the presence of God. So that there is no one who will think, I deserve to be loved and accepted by God. If you got everything uh, advertisers tell you you deserve, there's no way you'd, you'd have room to store it all. If you had 10 storage areas, you deserve this car, you deserve this boat, you deserve whatever. Nobody can stand before God and say, I deserve to be loved and accepted by Him. Or even more honestly, more flagrantly, but perhaps more honestly, I am the God of my world. I control all things. I make all things happen. I am smarter and richer than everybody else. And if you don't agree with me, I will see to it that you do agree with me. I'll either convince you or I'll force you to go my way. I have the power to bend you to my will. You ever wonder why God requires us to be humble at the same time? He requires that all glory go to him. I mean, does that seem somewhat contradictory to you? I mean, even if you quickly dismiss such a thought, we're human. And so we can't help but think that. I mean, God says, be humble. But he says, all glory must come to me. Of course we think those thoughts. But to begin to actively question God and to say, you know, that's not right. I work hard. I deserve that I get some acclaim and accolades and appreciation and all those things. And God knows that we need all those things. He encourages others to give it to us. But he also says, don't seek it for yourself. You make sure that that you're a conduit for glory, that, that it goes strictly to God. So when we actively question what in the world God's doing about that, we seek to rise to God's level or really... It would be more accurate to say we bring God down to our level. We fail to see God when we start to question these things like, what's that about the cross? Are you kidding me about this sin or about that sin? We, we fail to acknowledge God as the creator who never had a beginning. I mean, what are you going to say to somebody Who's always existed. You can't even get your mind there. We fail to acknowledge him as holy and, and, and utterly other than ourselves. When God said that his plan is to use the humble to do great things. He put his plan in place for our protection. You wouldn't want to stand in front of that kind of God and say, Hey, what'd you think? How'd I do? A lot better than my neighbors, right? A lot better than the people across the hall from me. Don't you think? You just don't want to say that in front of the Lord. Any hope of salvation that we have in this world, or in our intellect, our abilities, our relationships, our fitness that we work so hard to achieve, our advances in society, our hard-earned financial success, our goodness, any of that hope for salvation is misplaced. I am so proud of so many of you, the ways that you have allowed the Lord to work in and the things that you have accomplished, how... But when we start saying, you know, I'm pretty proud of myself too. We get into a dangerous place. Our only hope in this world or the next is Jesus. Paul continues in verse 30 by telling us what we gain when we acknowledge that we're not all that. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Uh, Almost any time you see a New Testament author say, as it is written. He's referring back to an 
Old Testament book is either talking about a particular verse or a passage. And when Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, he is looking back to Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Now, by the way, here's something that New Testament authors took for granted. When they would quote an Old Testament book, they assumed that their readers would not only know the location of that verse or that passage, but that they would know the context surrounding it so that they actually said way more than just what that one little verse said. There was a great deal more being communicated than just, hey, it's written there. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, while there's a whole lot going on, In the book of Jeremiah, specifically the ninth chapter of Jeremiah's prophecy, we're going to only take time to consider what he says in 23 and 24. You can go back and and catch the rest later. So Jeremiah 9. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understand and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Now I'm actually going to give a little, just a, a teeny bit of context here. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because of what it says at the very first verse of Jeremiah 9. He wept over the sins of the people. He knew that God's judgment was coming. He prophesied just before Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. And he said, it's going to happen. And they were saying, you're you're crazy, Jeremiah. Judah will never fall. This is God's city. We are his chosen people. Furthermore, look at how prosperous and how successful we are. Don't you think that God is blessing us? And you say that God is going to judge us? You're a fool, Jeremiah. The Judeans, though, had their hope in the wrong places. See, it's not that wisdom or political power or riches are wrong in and of themselves, but putting one's trust in anything or anyone other than the Lord is ultimately going to lead to disappointment, if not downright Disaster. Godly wisdom is to be pursued at the highest level. Scripture over and over says, seek after it. It, It's better than riches, better than gold, better than rubies. But the wisdom of this world, even when offered by the best minds and supported with the finest arguments of the day, will be proven to be false if not aligned with God's word. As for my, God constantly puts people in positions of influence, political influence, and, and, and he uses those people to accomplish his will. But we betray a shallow understanding of our God if we think that, you know, if just old so-and-so could get saved. If just this person could be saved. Think of how many people he could win to the Lord with his testimony. Or if just this candidate will be elected, then everything will be all right. Really, are, are we that? Are we that much in need that we can't trust God to do what He has determined to do, and that it's going to be okay? How many people have you known whose faith was current, constantly on display because they were very well known, and and maybe they gladly said. Jesus, you know, they've scored a touchdown and they point up or whatever. And, and, and they thank God for all the things that come into their lives. And then they fall flat on their faces. And I mean, not just they mess up. They walk away from God and, and say, I don't have anything to do with him anymore. God knows what he's doing when he deems that those who are considered to be unimportant by worldly standards are chosen to represent the wisdom and power and salvation that is found only in Jesus. When Jeremiah was was warning the rich not to trust in their riches, he was not saying that money is evil. But he knew what Solomon had said in Proverbs 23, that riches take wings, they sprout wings and take flight. I imagine that's the way a lot of people felt this week. 
It's Thursday and Friday. They watch the stock market go down, down, down. And billionaires this past week are millionaires this weekend. And you're thinking, man, I'd like to have that problem. But you really wouldn't. Riches will get a strangled hold on you like very little else will do. You think with money that you can insulate and isolate yourself from all problems and you think that you're way smarter than you are and way better than you are. It's not money that's the problem. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil that we're told in 1 Timothy 6. But the way it works is the more that we have, the more likely we are to put our security in money. So after a warning against dependence on all the above, Jeremiah says, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So the word understand means having considered, contemplated, and, having, and, and come to a firm decision about the Lord, that these things are right. It's not the kind of understanding my father required of me when I was a, when I was a little boy, you know. And I would do something, and he would tell me what's what, and then he'd say, you understand me, boy? I mean, I understood that he was bigger than I was, and I was going to get into a lot of pain. He was going to cause a lot of pain if I didn't follow his way of thinking. But the Lord says, just think about it. Contemplate. Know that this is who I am. It's for a thorough understanding, an intimate knowledge of him that comes through extended times of hearing his word and contemplating his truth. When you understand God in this way, you will know that he is kind. Not only that he is kind, but he is just. And you will see that righteousness is rewarded and unrighteousness is punished. And our righteousness, whether we are righteous or not, depends on whether we are in Jesus We are righteous because of him. When we go to the cross, we see Jesus taking our sin upon himself. And we see his righteousness being given to us. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. God's description of himself in Jeremiah 9.24 was the exact opposite of a description of Judah's leaders. God desired to deal gently with Judah, but he was prepared to exercise judgment if the people continued in their own way, which is unfortunately exactly what happened. So there's both wisdom and warning when Paul looks back to Jeremiah 9.24 in his letter to the Corinthians. And we're almost through, I promise you that. In fact, just don't worry about it. You can cut that off, it's fine. Jeremiah told his readers to give up their worldly wisdom, their trust in political power, their hope in riches. And what's the payoff? We get it all back in Jesus. Verse 30. And because of him, you are in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The dots are fairly easy to connect. Give it up. Wisdom, power, money. Your dependence on these things. Not give them up per se, but give up your dependence on these things. No matter how good life seems, no matter how successful you are, no matter how much fun you're having, in the end, apart from Jesus, it's going to all fade or even come crashing down in a moment like it did. Life ended in Jerusalem in Jeremiah's day. So think about what we receive when we're willing to release our grip on wisdom, power, and riches. We get God's wisdom. In Christ Jesus, we, He has made to us wisdom. We get God's wisdom instead of the best that the world has to offer. I like that guy. I like what he says. I, I do too, but unless it lines up with Scripture, it's not the best wisdom. Righteousness and sanctification, the power of a discipline and godly life that He lives through you. And then redemption, the riches of eternal life through Jesus. 
the cost of following Jesus, of being a disciple of Jesus, is high. It it involves a cross. And a cross is not a pretty thing. But when you die to yourself, you gain more than you could have ever hoped would be the case. So, students especially, I would say to you on this day, but to every single one of us, you're going to have a lot of choices and they're not going to be easy choices to make. And when you say, you know, I'm just going to put it off for a while and then I, you don't know. Every step to any of you, you some of you are, are thinking about having an affair for goodness sakes. I don't know about anybody. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying, that's the way it goes. Some of you are thinking about walking away from the Lord. Some are possibly even so depressed. Who knows? Put your hope in the cross of Jesus Christ who did all of this for you. Because every step away from Him... It's possibly an irreversible step. You may be going in a direction from which you will never recover. So if the call is upon your life this morning, repent where you are. Ask the Lord to forgive you. And say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Let's pray. We are going to sing... One more song, and then we're going to break for a few moments and get set up for a potluck. Uh, During this song, there's no invitation for you to come forward. It's just the invitation for you is to receive the word of the Lord and to respond to it. We all will respond to this word one way or the other. Even if you say, ah, that's a response. We're going to respond yes or no. So would you just in your heart say, Lord, I have no strength at all in me to follow you bearing my cross. It's too hard. Too many people think I'm a fool if I do that. And I, he knows. If he chose you, if you have repented of your sin and you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, He has called you to follow Him. There's no place you want to be other than right behind Jesus. If you've said, you know, I thought this whole thing is crazy, but now I'm not so sure. Maybe maybe there's something to this. Maybe you need to think about it some more. Or maybe you're ready to just cry out, Lord, please help me. I believe, but I I have a lot of unbelief. Help my unbelief. That prayer has been prayed before. Father, we acknowledge that we far too readily and easily trust in ourselves. We also acknowledge that sooner or later we discover that that trust is misplaced that we are inadequate but Jesus is so adequate (coughs) may we live to serve and to glorify the one who bore the cross accepted my sin as his own as the father poured out judgment and wrath upon him so that I might receive his righteousness And live eternally with Him. Thank you for the cross. Give me strength to bear mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? It's a good word this morning. A reminder, regardless of which end of the spectrum we're on, unbeliever, new believer, Wise in our own eyes, think we're rich. Devout believer, strong believer. This whole spectrum is addressed. Remember, we have nothing that we have not received from His hand. 
in um, the days of Moses, the priesthood was being was set up through Aaron and his family. In Numbers chapter six, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus shall you bless the people of Israel." I'm going to give you that blessing, but I want to remind us what is written right after the blessing. This is the reason for it. So they, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. It's a putting on from the source. This blessing is given to us through an under-shepherd. It's not earned. It's given free. Without it being given, we don't have it. We don't have his name. So I want to take advantage of the imagery in a more intimate setting. The placing of a hand on a shoulder or a head indicates the transmission of this blessing from God to the receiver. And to further illustrate and to, uh, to accept this imagery, I want you to bow. Bow your head if you, if you feel the need to sit down and receive it. Feel free to do that. And here's the blessing that God gives us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And as New Testament believers, we can say, through Jesus Christ, praise the Lord. Amen.